We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to the Transformative Principle Podcast. This is your guest host, Eric McKelkey, and today we have a guest joining us from the icebox of the nation, Big Piney High School Principal, um, Mr. Jeff McKelkey. Welcome. Thanks, Eric. And uh, we're, uh, we don't have snow days in Big Piney. We just keep rolling. So for all those who are not in school today or uh, not doing their schedule because of snow. Um, we 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 tough it out here. So, yeah, pretty welcoming when you when you come into the town and and you advertise your your town as the ice box of the nation. That's how you keep people from moving there. But welcome welcome to the show. Uh, Jeff is also my father, so if I if I slip up and call him dad, I apologize. <laughs> so. Dad, you've been you've been in education. This is your forty first year, right? This is, yeah. So about twenty five years as a, a teacher and a coach, and then this is your sixteenth year as a, a building administrator. Most and the whole time you've also been an athletic director too, right? The full sixteen. All but a, all but a couple of years when I first came to Big Piney, I was just the principal, which was outstanding. Um, but I've also been the AD the last four years here at the high school. Um, and in my previous administrative duty, I was, I was an assistant principal and activity director. Yeah. So you were recognized, um, sadly the only group that didn't get to go to the white white house, but you were the Wyoming secondary principal of the year, 2020 COVID year, and also had, um, some articles published in principal leadership magazine about the literacy work that you and your staff have done in coordination with, I think, was it the University of Wyoming? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The Learning Center, University of Wyoming. Yep. Yep. A lot of great accomplishments there in Big Piney with the punchers. Let's start with, you know, knowing you've had such a long, successful 
career and education, what are you most proud of as a, as a building principal or leader in education? Well, I think looking at this position I've been in for now my 10th year here, I would say two things. Number one, you know, when I came in, I really looked at some of the data, the, the school performance data. And, um, you know, to me, uh, the academics were not competitive with other school districts in Wyoming. And I felt like uh, it was a good school community. There were a lot of things in place here. And so I, I, I want to really focus on that. And I think we've really done that, especially with our ACT scores. Uh, one of the examples would be, I think the first year juniors were required in Wyoming to take the ACT was something like 2008. Um, when I came here, they'd had six opportunities and they were zero for six as far as scoring above the state average in the ACT. So I really made that a priority. It felt like there, there's no reason why we can't be uh, more competitively um, accomplished in our in our academics with our students. So we really made that a focus. And that was a great uniting thing for us. It really united the staff. They, they saw that as a source of pride too. And it was a great way for me to use that as a tool to unite our staff and work towards uh, better scores, which we we have accomplished. Yeah. So you guys, I, I second, go ahead. You, you guys have beat the state average probably every year for a couple of years in a row. And I think you even set like a new record for the, for the district, right? Or reset it a couple times. Yeah, yeah, we set a couple records since I've been here. Um, we we had the highest uh, math district score. I think it was in 2018 in the state of Wyoming, and our composite score has uh, been above the state average. I think seven of the last eight years. There was one year we missed it by a tenth of a point, right, right before COVID. I don't really count COVID year, but yeah. yeah so we've been. Well, hey, it, if ACT scores don't count, either do principal of the year scores. So you can't have it both ways. Yeah. I think the other thing that I'm, I'm proud of here um, is, you know, one of the things I experienced as a teacher in the classroom for 25 years was I had some really great teachers just down the hallway or right across the hallway from me, but I never had an opportunity or took it upon myself to go in and watch them teach. And I really felt like at the secondary level, that's pretty common that, it's really an isolated education system at the secondary level. They're not like elementary teachers where they're used to uh, collaborating together. They have grade level teams, those kinds of things. Um, that wasn't something I was ever part of. And when, when I became a principal, the first thing I said I would try to change in a traditional secondary school was to open up those doors and make teachers go into each other's classrooms and observe each other, uh, watch them teach, um, and then debrief with them, not as part of the evaluation system at all, but just for professional development for themselves. And I'm proud of that, that we, we, we've established a culture here where teachers feel comfortable, uh, they're transparent, they're welcoming to other staff members. And I think that's the best professional development that you can offer because it's, it's so handy. And every building has the experts in certain things in their building. Um, so we need to share that. And, I, and I, I'm proud of that. Was that, was that hard to start? Cause I've, I've struggled with that myself. And I've heard that a lot from other principals that, well, I tried offering it or I tried mandating it, or it's part of the evaluation system. And it can be really difficult, especially with high school staff. So how, how did, how did that go when you tried to get that ball rolling with, 
observations uh, I, of peers? I think it, I think it was received pretty, uh, pretty openly, um, pretty positively. I think the nuts and bolts sometimes is just that it's difficult to free up a teacher um, in a small school. You don't have a lot of extra personnel that can walk in or, um, you know, I've offered to take their classes. My counselors offered to take their classes, but sometimes freeing those teachers up, you know, I have a requirement. They got to do at least one per semester. If you're a tenured teacher, if you're a non-tenured teacher new to the district, I'd like to get you in there more than once a semester. Um, so sometimes the nuts and bolts of it is, is the biggest challenge, just freeing that teacher up. But uh, in the end, there's no excuse. And I remind them, I have a log. So I check that every week and I remind them, hey, you know, you got three weeks left, you got five weeks left or whatever, time to get in and, and get your peer observation in. Yeah, and it it is it is beneficial. And it covering classes is hard and everybody's struggling, you know, with the sub shortage, but it's easier to cover for a period than send teachers to a conference or do a training where you've got multiple teachers out for a full day. Right. The other thing that I've tried to do, and it's been it's been really um pretty positively accepted again. And with our specialized teachers, we have one Spanish teacher in the district. So it's really hard for them to go get some specific professional development to watch another teacher in the district. There just isn't anybody that teaches their content. So we've really tried to establish connections with school districts that are close. Um, go grab a car, drive down there for a day or a morning or an afternoon. I get, get you a sub and go watch another teacher in content area when that's not available in our area. And we, we've had teachers do that, music and foreign language especially, and then also our CTE teacher. Yeah, that can be the only way that or, or trying to do it digitally, but there's a lot of other small right. small districts that are feeling like they're on an island too, just, just down the road. Um, you know, a, a common topic on the on the podcast so far this year has been recru recruiting and retaining staff and we hear hear about it a lot and those of us that are building administrators are always focused on teachers and support staff but you know the i believe it was NASSP shared some uh administrator recruitment and retention survey data that showed as as many or even more administrators are considering leaving the career than teachers. And one of, one of the topics that I thought, um, or one of the questions I thought I'd pose to you having such a long careers, you know, why, why do you think teachers should go into administration? Why, why get your master's and why become a building administrator? Well, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask that question because it took me a long time to decide to go to the dark side <laughs> and leave the classroom, become an administrator. Uh, I taught for 25 years and really I was content to stay in my classroom. I love teaching. I love coaching. Um, I was content to really finish my career in that position. Um, a few things nudged me. Um, I started taking some courses, some um admin courses just to kind of feel it out a little bit and, and they really hooked me i really enjoyed the content i really felt prepared uh and that i could become an effective administrator and i think one thing i would say to people who are thinking about that is i would encourage teachers maybe you don't want to hear this but to stay in the classroom 
and teach for a while. I think I think the best administrators are the people who've really spent a lot of time in the classroom at that grassroots level working with students. Because when you get to be a principal or an administrator, if you choose that, you can really relate to the struggles, the things that they deal with. And I think um, it just opens up that communication and, and there's a there's a connection there. You can understand what they're going through. You know that you can't put too much on their plate. They're already doing this or doing this. So if you put something on their plate, what can you take off of their plate? I, I just, I would encourage people. Plus the other thing is, you know, I, I think about like dog years, one versus seven years. I think uh, being an administrator, your life expectancy is a lot shorter than a teacher because as a teacher, you can prevent those problems in your classroom by, you know, being an effective planner, being an effective communicator, and an effective teacher. But as an administrator, um, th that becomes tougher to do. Your scope of responsibility has enlarged quite a bit. Therefore, you end up dealing with a lot more things on a day-to-day -day basis than you would as a teacher. And so I think that can that can take its toll on a person versus staying in the classroom if you're an effective teacher. Um, but the effect that you can have, if you're doing a great job in the classroom, why not spread that wealth? Why not increase your, um, your area of influence over students and other teachers? Uh, it's a great opportunity to do that. You know, one of the... One of the common responses I've heard when I've I've talked with teachers and tried to encourage them to at least consider administration or or starting their masters or something leading to a, a building principal role, um, I hear almost every time is uh, what you mentioned. You know, oh man, I, then you got to deal with everybody's problems. All the problems become your problem, uh, which is true to an extent. But the other one is parents what would you say to a teacher that says well you know the one part that i just couldn't handle is is what principals have to deal with when it comes to parents and families well i think if you're teaching effectively now you're probably communicating more as a teacher with parents than a principal does on a day-to-day -day basis i would hope that um you know maybe it's not in person uh, maybe it's through some emails or some phone calls or whatever, but I would hope that, you know, we're not just getting together during parent teacher conferences to talk to parents. So if you're an effective teacher, I feel like you have to establish that relationship with the parents of your students, or you, you can't really be as effective as you could be. And so I think, um, you know, again, the longer you're in the classroom, the more you're going to have those conversations. And some of them are really tough conversations to have with parents about their sons and daughters. And some of them are um, really fun to have. So I, I, I wouldn't think that should be a sticking point um, or deterrent. I, I think as a teacher, again, you're probably communicating more on a daily basis with parents than a principal does. At least that's what, what I find. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. I've never thought about that, but it's true. Um, especially if they've been involved in, in activities as a coach or a sponsor. I mean, they deal with parents as much or more. I, I right. think than administrators do at the building level. 
So one one topic I really wanted to get in into today, you know, PLCs is um, a lot of us have have read the book and gone to the training and done the done the the PLC, uh, drank the Kool Aid, so to speak. But there's a lot of people, um, myself included, in our 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 building that have struggled making it work at the, at the high school level or secondary level in a small school. So you guys, uh, the punchers have, have really had a focus on this lately. So tell us what, what have you been doing to make the PLC model fit, um, with all your singletons and, and small staff? Well, first of all, I'd say that when I, when I came to big Piney high school, um, I had not attended a PLC conference. Um, that was 10 years ago. I, I did within my first year, attended uh, Solution Tree, uh, drank the Kool-Aid in 2013, I think it was in Salt Lake City. But um, there really wasn't anything in place when we came back. Uh, the schedule, the school schedule really didn't allow for it. So some teachers um, that had gone to PLC trainings before 2013 had come back and tried to do some things sort of on their own, but there really wasn't a systematic um, process in place to ensure that it was going to be successful as far as student performance. So when I came in, I, I, I sort of did some unofficial PLC things. Um, the peer observation we talked about, that, that was one key thing and talked a lot about in Solution Tree. Um, leadership teams, forming different leadership teams and putting, putting teachers in a leadership role in the school was critical, I thought. And so I did some of those things and we implemented those, but, you know, since our superintendent, uh, Dr. Charles Jenks, uh, is a, a strong advocate of PLCs, uh, we, we basically, I guess, have taken some of the things that I've put into place and, and um, it's sort of like those things on steroids. They're just really enhanced and, and, and there's more focus on it. Um, and there's a, there's a specific system for that to make it work. I think the big challenge in small schools, we were always able to say, it doesn't really work. The PLC process really wasn't made for number one at the secondary level in a small school. We don't have grade level teams. Who do we collaborate with? Those are big challenges. So what we've done is we formed, uh, since really everybody in my building is a singleton. I have two math teachers and two English teachers, but they don't teach the same subject. Mm -hmm. So everybody on our staff is a singleton. Uh, from the art teacher to our core teachers. And so we we combined uh, and did a six through 12 grade level team. Now we're two separate buildings, a middle school and high school. Um, so we do a six through 12, where at least now we have uh, other, other teachers teaching the same content area. Um, and it's just kind of increased those numbers to try to collaborate. It's still a challenge. I don't think it's perfect because... Again, we're not teaching the same subject areas. And until I think we have teachers doing that, it's always going to be a little bit of a struggle to collaborate. Mm -hmm. But we're, this is so new for us. We're finding um, a lot of opportunities to get together, reflect, um, share ideas. Again, being collaborative. We, I've tried to sell that since I've been here. And this just really kind of helps us go to another level with it. So your 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 teams that you're working on between the middle and high school would be 
six through 12 staff by content area. So like middle school and high school math teachers would be a team. Right. Right. And then with our specialists, we make decisions there on whether, you know, where they go. We've got an art teacher that fits sort of in the CTE realm because she teaches some career technical education courses, but she's also in the fine arts um, realm. So she's, she kind of will hop a little bit back and forth, although she's kind of selected one team just because she feels like it's a better fit for her. Um, so that, that was a big thing when we started last spring, the administrators had to sit down and, and form those collaborative teams and then also select leaders within those teams who we felt would really help move the process along. So, so knowing that those content area teams, the teachers, when they meet and they sit down together, they're not teaching the same standards. They're not assessing the same standards. What what are they working on that makes that time meaningful and, and purposeful? That's a great question. So if you're not teaching the same exact content to the same grade level student, I, I think the only thing you, you're left to focus on is common skills, common skills within ELA, common skills within mathematics, uh, common skills within CTE common skills within fine and performing arts. And so I think that that's, that's sort of some, I guess, less publicized, uh, less publicized process. We're, we're kind of creating that. I know there's a lot of other small schools in the country that use PLCs and do a great job with it. So we're having to try to learn from those people um, because it's not the same in a small school when you are the only 10th grade English teacher or the only geometry teacher. Um, you you got to be kind of creative in how you do that. So we are working on, on uh, you know, really taking our, our standards, the state standards, and then trying to come up with those essential standards that I know the state is even working on. Uh, but we don't want to wait for the state. We, we, we mm-hmm. think that our teachers are effective and, and they know their content area, their specialists. They can they can really identify some of the key things they want every high school student in Big big Piney to have and to be able to do before they graduate, whether that's in mathematics or ELA or foreign language. And so um, that's what we are charged to work with and develop and build. So right now we're identifying those, those um, essential standards, really, uh, that go across from sixth grade through 12th. Um, and how can they how can they fit them together um, at, at the different grade levels? And um, you know, how do we make sure we are assessing that? And then what are we doing, of course, when students either do get the material or they don't get the material? How do we intervene or extend their learning? So it's a big task. Yeah. It's a bigger task than I guess a normal. PLC environment with large schools where the grade level teams are already set up and you're teaching the same content. I, I think it takes a lot of extra uh, creativity um, and open-mindedness um, and just trial and error too. Yeah. And I, I know it, the, the trend to me feels like high school, uh, you know, principals and teachers a lot of times look at the PLC model and say, Oh, well, that's an elementary thing or, you know, Oh, the elementary can do that. The middle school can kind of do that, but that won't work. We, 
we don't share any uh, any common courses or uh, content or give the same assessments. Um, but somebody told me, I don't know if, if this is true, that the PLC model was actually started at a high school. Hmm. And, you know, that, I'm sure that was a long time ago, but it, it does seem like a lot of times high schools look at that and say, well, because we can't set it up to have common common planning time with all of our math teachers or all teach geometry or algebra. Um, we just can't do PLCs, but really what, what you're saying and what your approach in Big Piney has been is, you know, there's still some other ways that we can be collaborative and work together in, in teams for the, for the good of our students and the skills and knowledge that we, we want. Right. And by no means are we experts because we are just really starting this journey this year where we have, you know, when I came back, you know, last spring and, and Dr. Jenks said, we're going to do this. And all the principals at each level, elementary, middle and high school, all agreed, we need this. We've been putting this off for too many years. We've had excuses not to do it, especially at the high school and at the middle school as well. So we decided to throw those excuses out the window and sit down and do the nitty gritty. First two things we had to do. Number one, we had to make sure that we had time built into our schedule for teachers to collaborate because we know from past experiences, just having teachers do that on their own was not going to happen if you didn't create time for them to do that. You got a lot of other things on their plate. It's not fair to ask that of them. Number two, we had to build in time for interventions because the, the goal, the PLC, is to improve your student performance. If you're not doing that, it's probably not worth it. So we got to build in specific time during the day, uh, during the week at least, to provide that intervention for those students who don't know the material, don't get the material, need more help. And then also we have to build in time for those students who do know the material. You know, what do you do when the students can perform what you're asking them to perform and they have the knowledge of the material that you're, you're covering? So we had to provide and, and really build those two things with our schedule. And last spring, when, when I redid our schedule, basically our bell schedule, I put those things in place, but I felt <laughs> pretty uneasy about doing it. It felt like I put the cart before the horse. We weren't ready to do that yet. But this year, we just started from the get-go, and we have uh, we have worked towards that. So we have a, seven, a late start on Wednesday morning where we give our teachers at least 45 minutes, if not close to an hour, time to meet in their collaborative teams, grades six through 12. And we just alternate building sites um, back and forth. And then we also have on Wednesdays the same day, um, our intervention and learning extension time at the end of the day, which is 67 minutes. So we redid the schedule to provide for that. And that's been a challenge because we have a small staff and we're trying to do two things. We're try to, trying to prove it to um, offer uh, interventions for students who need it at the same time without limited staff offer learning extensions for the kids who already get it and are ready mm -hmm. to move on to something else and to challenge them. So um, we're doing that as we're building it. Okay. I don't have all the answers. Um, we we have a great spreadsheet that, that we found when River used, which really helps us track kids because my big thing is like, it's not going to be chaos. If it's going to be chaos, we're not going to do that. Um, so we have a really structured, organized method for kids to be assigned 
by teachers who need the intervention and where they go during that hour, we call it puncture hour. And then also if kids aren't assigned by teachers, they have options to pick and select from where they're gonna go during that time period as well. And then one of the things we're just, we're just getting off the ground for our seniors only is a thing called, I call it CSI, um, Community Service Internship, where we will allow our students to go to a local organization or business and provide community service if they are not assigned by a teacher on that Wednesday afternoon for 67 minutes. Uh, they're not going to get paid for this. It's community service. But it's also an internship in that it's a little bit of a job shadow uh, for them. So it's a great experience, a good you know school to work transition mm -hmm. uh, that we haven't had here. And so we think that fits in really well. We're going to start with our seniors. We'll be starting that actually this month. It's hard to believe in a little town like Big Piney. I've got 38 organizations that said, we want your high school seniors down here uh, one day a week working with us, the fire station, um, uh, businesses in town, uh, all kinds of places. Is that more than you have students in the senior class? That's actually two more than we have seniors. <laughs> yeah, we have 36 right now. So, um, so I'm really optimistic about that. It's, it's created a lot of legwork for some of our staff and myself to get that organized, but we are very excited about it. We think it does a couple of things. One, it extends the learning for those kids and helps them transition from school to work or career. And it also um, teaches them the value of community service. Uh, it could morph into a lot of things. They could get paid you know, later on or after school, if, if it's a good relationship between the student and the business, maybe on Saturdays or weekends, whatever, uh, could morph into a scholarship opportunity that they would then support that student as they go to college, you know, in that career area. So I just think there's a lot of great things that could come from it. But um, I'll talk to you later about how it's going. We've yeah. just been doing a lot of paperwork on it right now and we haven't implemented it, but we're excited about that. And it fits in really well, I think, to the learning extension time period that we have to offer. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like it would also be a good way for, for high school students to just do a little bit of <clears throat> career exploration, you know, right. for those kids that say, well, I don't know what I want to do. It's like, well, here's 38 options. Go see what right. that's like. And they, they may connect with something that, man, I could see myself doing that. What do I need to do to turn that into a career? Right before they spend the money on going to become a, a veterinarian or a vet tech or something like that, go to the vet clinic and work there and see if you think you see yourself in, in that role in that career field. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yep. Good way to do some some enrichment, some extension with with high school students. Um, yeah, with a, with a small staff, again, a lot of your core staff have to be available to provide interventions. For students that need interventions then so we need help with the community from the community to provide learning extensions because a lot of our core teachers are going to be up to their neck working with students that just need that assistance we have to involve the community to make this work yeah no it makes sense because if you you know you have one teacher in geometry and algebra one they can't work with every kid who needs intervention at the same time as every kid who needs enrichment that that's not going right. to go well. So makes sense. What would you, what would you say is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you um, that have, that have questions or want, want to know more about what you guys are working on? 
I'm not a huge Twitter fan. I have a, a Twitter account, but I don't not too active with it. It's Jay McKelkey. Um, but uh, my email is jmckelkey at sublet9.org. My school email would be the best. Okay. And then we always like ending um, with the question, what what's one thing listeners can do this week to be a more transformative principal like you? Ooh, it's probably a lot of things. Um, but one thing I get, I think I would start with getting in the classroom. Make sure you're in the classroom. Schedule time to be in the classroom. Put it on your agenda every day um, and, and be in the classroom. I think there's so many benefits for a principal. Um, you can be proactive. I feel like the more I'm in the classroom, the less I have students being sent to me for discipline reasons. I feel like the more I'm in touch with what my teachers are doing, the more feedback I can give them to help them, um, you know, improve their instruction and just be aware of what they're dealing with in the classroom. So I say get in the classroom. That, that's number one. Make time every single day that you're in the district to be in the classroom. Yeah, good good advice. And And one thing I would add to that, isn't it more fun than sitting in your office? Way more. I hate paperwork. That's one of the biggest <laughs> reasons. Like, I don't. I don't think you ever be a superintendent. Too much paperwork. I want to be in the classroom. Um, I have assistants that help me with the paperwork, but I would much rather be in the classroom watching teachers teach and students learn. Um, it's a it's a great environment. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're in the business. Well, thank you. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate having you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for getting this going. I'm, I'm interested and in, in, uh, I'll pay more attention, I, I promise, to your future podcast. Okay. Sounds good. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.